Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. year this year, and this theme that we were entering into, or at least last week, was this counter-reality of you win by losing, right? When it comes to the kingdom of God, you win by losing. It's, um, God, God is literally reversing the curse ever since Jesus rose from the dead. So that's why some of these things seem counter, you know, like real counter, um, uh, you know, opposite against our own sometimes common sense, but that's just how God is. We don't rely on our wisdom, but on his. And so surviving is the main thing. And so today, we're going to look at that same theme, but apply it to storms, right? How do you survive a storm? Because there's a certain things, guys, about that. And I don't know if it's ever happened to you, all right? If you've ever been caught out in, especially out in open water, in the middle of a storm, all right? Anybody like to go boating? Anybody like to do some cruising? Any cruise people? Some cruise people online, anybody? And so share who has a boat. So now we can know who we're going to hang out with during spring break and Thanksgiving, right? I mean, and summer, all right? But um, I, I get a little nervous. My dad has a boat, and I get a little nervous driving the boat because driving a boat is different than driving a car, man. It just feels different because there's so many moving variables that are out of your control, right? I mean, the ground is moving, literally, right? It's the, the one little wave here throws you off, and I'm always overcompensating, right? And so, you know, John, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so it's, there's so many crazy things, the wind, the currents, there's so many factors that you can't control, right? And then forget the weather, right? And that one's, you know, depending on where you are and what's going on. Uh, this actually didn't happen to me. It happened to my dad. True story, all right? I am not exaggerating one bit of the story, okay? I think if, because I'm not there, I'm actually, uh, I don't think I'm doing the story justice. But my dad one time took a couple of friends with him, and they went out to uh, the bay here in Tampa, right? And so they wanted to go out into the ocean and just have a good time. And so my dad, is, he is very particular. He, he sees and, and he's, you know, overanalyzing everything. And I don't know what happened this one. I don't know if, if he underestimated the weather or he just, the one time he let his guard down, you know, like, oh, we're fine. I don't know. But everything was going great. And then there was a storm that literally just, they came out of nowhere. And before they could do anything, they were stuck in it. And so I've been out on a cruise during the storm. I've never been out on a little, but I mean, this was maybe like a 14 footer, 15 footer. And so... And it was a bad one. So, so much so that the, the rain was so thick that they couldn't see shore anymore. So now they don't know what's going on. I mean, and the waves are kicking in. The wind is kicking in. My dad is like super locked in, trying not to make, you know, make sure everyone survives, right? That no one dies. And so he's just like super hyper-focused, right? You know, like that, trying to make sure and see. And, and he, he can't find shore. We don't know what's going on. And so at this point, they're just panicked that now, you know, the storm is taking them out in open water, out in the middle of the Gulf. And so my, my dad is zoned in. The other two passengers that are with him are, are freaking out. My mom is scared. She's, she's crying. And then her friend is there next to her, laughing her head off the entire time, singing the theme song to Gilligan's Island. <laughs> 
All right, for anybody under 30, all right, Gilligan's Island was a TV show, and there's a song that starts, they all went out on a three-hour tour, and they got caught in a storm, and they were stranded in the middle of an island for, that was the, the whole season, so now it's funny for you, okay? But anyway, see, it's not funny because I had to explain it now, but whatever. So that's what happened. So she's singing, she's laughing, my mom wants to punch her in the face, right? And so she's not having it, and then my mom finally, because they don't know what else to do, right? They can't take control of the boat. They can't control the direction. So all my mom knows how to do is, well, we need to call for help. And so she's calling the Coast Guard. Finally got him on the phone. And so she's panicking. You were in the car in the middle of a storm. We're out in open ocean. We don't know where we are. We can't see the shore. And I'm like, you know, ma'am, calm down. And so, you know, they're just trying to get her right. And then out of nowhere, like a typical Florida summer storm, it was right here and then gone, right? Our, our weather is very schizophrenic for anybody that is not from watching that is not here in Florida. And then right as the storm is going away, she was like, oh, never mind. Um, shore's right there. And so like, in fact, they were really close to the pier that they were like, they were really close to a pier. Miracle enough that they didn't just ram it, you know? And so literally they thought they were in open water and all they're doing is doing donuts in the bay, you know? Literally not far off of shore. And so, but anyways, the reason why I say that is because there's in that scenario, right? There's only certain things that you can control. And, and the one thing that I want us to understand, and this is not news to anybody, okay? You are not in control. Is that okay? I know we got control freaks in the house, all right? I, I can be like that. And so we try to control everything and sometimes everyone, right? And, and, but the reality is, guys, we are not in control. There's so many factors that are beyond us, right? That it's just a good thing to be able to recognize that in the sense of, okay, I am not in ultimate control. But then that leaves you to make a decision, which is what? Who are you going to call? What can you do for help? And so in this case, when my mom called the Coast Guard, well, we have Christ to call. We have God. And so there's, you know, we can't control everything, but you can control one thing. You can control you, right? The, how you think, how you respond, the decisions that you make. And so, and there's an ultimate decision that we need to make if we want to be able to survive life's storms, right? And so that's what we're going to look at today, ironically, right, because I'm setting it up. In today's message, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit actually empowered Paul to survive a storm at sea so that we could see something very significant about who God is, all right? And so we're going to read, before we put it up, Little warm up, all right? So everyone's used to, you know, stretch your uh, listening ears. And so, because I am going to read the whole of chapter 27 today. So, Acts 27. So, if you don't have it online or anybody, we're going to put it on the screen. Now, there's 44 verses here. Now, hang in there. It's going to take me five and a half minutes, all right? If, uh, if you want to read in Spanish, Hechos 27. We're going to read the whole capítulo, all right? And so, I want to read the whole story because this is actually one of the longest narrative stories in the New Testament. And I've said this a lot this year. Every time when you're reading scripture, especially reading a story, and you see the story slow down and you start seeing details, it's because the Holy Spirit wants us to focus and not lose sight of something huge here. And so let's go ahead and read. The longest, if not, it's considered, if not the longest, story in the New Testament. And this is in Acts, which I'm not even ready. Acts 27, 
just so, as a heads up for everyone else, Paul has finally, Paul is finally headed to Rome. Paul had been arrested. He had been under Roman custody for two years, and he was waiting. He knew that God had a plan for his life to go to Rome. He's been, it's been on delay, eh, you think, for two years, and now he is finally on a ship that's going to take him straight to Rome. And now we're going to read what happens along the whole process. So here we go. Chapter 27, verse 1. Here we go. When it was decided that we, so Luke, the author of this, is an eyewitness. He was there. When it was decided that we were to set sail to Italy, they, being the Romans, handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had boarded a ship, Adramedium, um, the, uh, the ship of Adramedium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Um, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. This is the, he was mentioned when Paul was in Thessalonica, and I think it was Acts 19. So this is an old friend. He's there too. The next day we put into uh, Sidon, and Julius, and Julius treated Paul kindly, even allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. We had, when we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra uh, in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, with difficulty, we arrived off Snidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the southern side of Crete off Salome. Uh, with still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassia. By now, much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous, since the Day of Atonement was already over. This is a Jewish holiday, uh, which happens around September, uh, September, October, around there. Paul gave this advice. He told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid no attention. He had paid, instead, he paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, which is a harbor in Crete, facing the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. This little uh, gentle wind was very deceptive. But before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Fearing they would run aground on Citrius, they lowered the drift anchor. And in this way, they were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo to the next, uh, to the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. 
since they had been without since uh, since they had been without food for a long time Paul then stood up among them and said you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss so now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any lives but only the ship for last night an angel of the of God that I belong to and serve stood by me and said do not be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just, uh, just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground in some island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea. And about midnight, the sailors thought we were approaching land. So they took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep. Then sailed a little further, sounding again. They found it to be 90 feet deep. Then fearing we would run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out the anchor from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day and you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and took some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them after he broke it, and he began to eat. They were all encouraged and took food themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on this ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. Now, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned uh, to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. They hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed straight for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and ran the, the ship aground. The bow jammed and fastened and remained immovable, with the stern beginning to break upon the pounding of the waves." The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plans because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered, them, he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks, some on debris, from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. One of the longest stories. All right, see, five and a half minutes, right? Wasn't that bad? All right, one of the longest stories in the New Testament, guys. So one of the things that I want to encourage you not to do, especially on a long story like this, be careful not to read too much into the details, all right? Um, I, I've done that, and I can do that in the sense that so many times we look at this, and then we try to, like, take apart little piece and this and this and that, and we, like, impose all of these, like, meanings. Oh, oh I wonder, you know, it was the, the third day that this happened, so what does that mean? And it was 14 days, so what does the 14 signif you know, signify? And, and, and what about this? And what about that? And, and it's very easy to get kind of, like, lost in the weeds, okay? 
Very easy to get lost in the weeds. But in a story like this, you want to be able to say, okay, step back. What is the whole story trying to say? You see what I'm saying? So you want to, if you want to get lost in the weeds later, but you want to make sure you get the whole thing. So what are we seeing here? All right. Obviously, Luke gives this very detailed account of what happened while they were going from Jerusalem or Judea to Rome. And they did a pit stop in Malta, which is the island that they're on. We're going to talk about what happened to them next week. Um, and so uh, one of the interesting things, guys, is that, you know, the, I thought this was cool. Somebody actually d- uh, duplicated this trip. All right, not to, I don't know how, how long ago, but uh, somebody wanted to see the accuracy of the story. And so they literally set sail exactly the way that Luke uh, gives the details here. And the person was shocked when they said it. it was like, man, this, it's exactly the way. And, and he went around the time of year that they did and he did the whole trip. And so it was really interesting to see, man, Luke's account, you could tell the only way somebody would write this is if they were there. And so this is an eyewitness account. And so I thought it was interesting that somebody was able to uh, duplicate it, which then reaffirms even more that the story is trustworthy. But obviously, what's the problem, right? What, what's the problem? And you kind of heard uh, Luke, as he's writing it, it's increasing, right? With difficulty, we did this. And then with some more difficulty, we did this. And then with extreme difficulty, you know, man, it's just like crescendoing right? Like the issues and the struggle is crescendoing more and more and more. I don't know. That that easily can feel like life, right? Sometimes you feel like, all right, it can't get any worse than this. It can't get any worse than this. Please don't get any worse than this, right? And then it's very easy to kind of get caught up in that moment there. And so the great difficulties, guys, there were two things that obviously made it difficult. The obvious one was the what? The storm, right? Now, Luke says nothing, that this was a demonic influence. This Luke says nothing. So this is one of the things that I would be cautious about is like reading into, okay, this is the devil, this is demons, and they're stirring up the thing. Because Luke gives us when they went. It was around late fall. And the Northeaster is a storm that happens during this time. And so this is a common sense thing. So not only did we have a storm, but it was also stubbornness, right? There was the stubbornness of People who, they should know better, right? These are sailors. This is what they do for a living. They should know better not to travel. But they assumed, you know, they wanted to get things over with, right? You know, cut corners. I know that's happened to me, right? I've tried to cut corners and make things worse for myself. Anybody? Right? You try to cut corners, try to save time. And now you got to like spend more time to try to fix what you just did, right? It is what it is. That's what happens. And so the storms in life, our own stubbornness can make things difficult. But, but look at Paul. I want to zoom in. We're going to zoom in and look at, look at him versus everything else because we see so much. And, and, and he's obviously the, the, the main figure that we're seeing. And what do, we, there's, what do we see Paul do? In fact, actually, there was, this is a question that I asked myself reading this. Notice what Paul didn't do. Paul did not stand at the bow of the ship and attempt to calm the storm the way Jesus did. I thought that was interesting, right? Nowhere does he stand up there and like, well, I have authority in the name of Jesus. And so in Jesus' name, storm be still. Nothing. There was, so that's an interesting, I wonder why. Um, But then what do we see? He's not calming the storm, but don't you see in him a calm inside of himself, right? Everyone else is losing their heads. They're losing their mind, right? 
Just like the people in the story. And I, I, think that my, I think my friend, my mom's friend was singing that song to cope. I think, you know, she was just, she needed, she didn't know how to process. I might die. So if I'm going to die, I'm going to go out with a smile on my face. I don't know. All right. But interesting that he does not calm the storm, but you see a calm in him that God ha- is doing, that Jesus was doing. And so a couple of things too that we see in Paul, which is good for us to model as well, guys. Don't you see in Paul a sense of like sanity and spirituality, right? So you see this common sense thing. Hey guys, listen, I I don't think it's a good idea for us to do this because, and Paul guys is an experienced sailor. I want you guys to know by now, 20 something years that he's been following Christ, he's been on these waters. He knows when to go, what not to. He's been this, he's been there before. And so he says, look, I can see it, guys. We're going to have some problems if we do this. It wasn't a prophetic vision. It was just common sense. And so he has this sense of, you know, which is, which is great on that. But then there's also this sense of spirituality as well. He's a man of faith, but a man of action. Don't you see that at the same time? right? He's trusting in God, but what is he doing? He's out there helping. He's doing. I mean, he's not there just doing a little prayer session, interceding in the belly of the ship. He's praying while working at the same time. Do we see that? And so we see this duality there of making sure it's okay to be a, you know, a man and woman of God and a man and woman of action. But, you know, it is in order to be that man and woman of God is how the action can kind of land better, you know? And so we see this little mix there. Um, but also, even in the middle of a crisis, what is he doing? He's constantly pointing people to Christ. In the middle of the crisis, he could be panicking. He could be freaking out. What about this? And what about that? But what do we see him doing? Constantly pointing to Jesus. Constantly. And how many people were on this ship? 276. This is a big ship. 276 people. And he, even then, when he's just trying to survive, uh, uh, I mean, they all thought they were going to die. Uh, the, the, most of them were thinking that. And here he is still laser focused on helping others. These are a bunch of non-believers who are with him. And so I loved even that, guys, which, which is encouraging for us. Like, listen, I know you guys all got problems. I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. I know some of you. But even the people that I know, you know, we don't always know each other perfectly. But guys, I want us to think about that. In the sense that even in the midst of our problems, the Holy Spirit can still help us to deal with that and be helpful to others. You see that? And so I know it's hard, but see, we don't do it on our own strength. And so that's super cool there. And twice he says this phrase, take courage. Take courage. Take courage. What does that mean? He's telling them to believe, right? Take courage. He says it twice. Even the second one is even worse. Guys, did you not notice he said, even despite the heavy losses we've experienced, uh, I, I even set that up. Listen, if you would have listened to me, I, I know we have spouses in the house, right? And we, we love that one, right? Listen, I told you, right? We, parents live for those moments, right? When, when the kids do something, I'm like, I told you, right? I was right. I told you so, right? So he said that, but look at that. He didn't even remain bitter. He didn't say, listen, if you would have listened to me, you would have been, but now be condemned and damned in Jesus' name. No, he doesn't do that either. He is, he is still, he doesn't remain bitter towards the people who aren't listening to him. He's like saying, listen, y'all should, have li- y'all should have listened to me then, so listen to me now. And what does he tell them to do? He, he tells them about this vision, which is, I think it's the sixth and final vision that we see Paul uh, experience in Acts. So he has this encounter with, um, with an angel. Uh, it's t- it's, this time it's not Jesus. And so these experiences, guys, are possible. 
not normative, you know, they're not, they're not going to happen on a weekend like that. But it was, what does he relay? What does God tell the angel? He says, it is necessary for you to go to what? What did he say, guys? It is necessary for you to go to Rome. And everyone's going to be okay. So what is the prophetic word? In essence, like, I know this looks bleak. I know the storm looks bad. Luke said himself, we were losing all hope that we would live. Paul is the only one out of the 276 who be like, yeah, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Not because he was being optimistic, but why? Because God told me so. God said, we're not going to die. I know this looks bleak. This looks bad. And this is an interesting thing, guys, for us as well. And when scriptures always point to us and, and God reminds us many times, this is what it looks like to live by faith, not by sight. Because to live by sight means I'm determining what reality is going to look like based on what I see. But there is something other that we see happening here, which honestly, we can do the same as well. And so I, I love that. He, was, he kind of forgave them. You should have listened to me. Oh, well, now listen to me now. Try and I, God has spoken to me. I trust. I believe. He even breaks bread and blesses God in front of all these people. 276 of them, you know, 275 of them. And so he is pointing to Christ in the middle of all of this. And so what's, we're still looking at the big picture. So we're looking at Paul. And then we're seeing the overall what happens. Obviously, they survive. Now, this is an, this is a, this is an interesting detail. I, I think we, um, in a lot of Greek culture, in a lot of Greek uh, narratives and stories, there was always this um, narrative, sometimes, this narrative of surviving a storm at sea. And it's usually at the end of a story. All right? And so here Luke is not just making one up, but he actually experienced this. And it, it feels when you read all of Acts 27, uh, I'm sorry, all of Acts, there's 28 chapters, right? so there's only one left. And so this story feels like a, the climax, right? Just like it's, it's like that moment in that movie, right? When all hope seems lost, right? Everything has been building to this one thing, right? It's inevitable, right? Or whatever, right? Everything is building up to this one moment. That's exactly how Luke is writing, how the Spirit wrote, wrote this, but it also happened in this way. And in ancient Greek cultures, guys, if you survived a storm at sea, it was symbolic that you were a righteous person. It was like vindication from the gods that this person is, is a hero, right? So you survived, right? It's kind of like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm only thinking of this movie right now, but it's like an end game with Iron Man, right? He, he just does that valiant thing. It looks like Thanos is going to snap it and he does it, right? So every movie is the same. Every movie is the same. And then we see this, this end scenario, right? And, and the hero was vindicated. The, the, arc, you know, the arc of the story was complete. Well, in the same way, guys, we see this, and this was very validating for that culture back then. And so they're saying, wow, but not just that, you know, Paul is not the righteous hero. Even though we see Paul, but Paul is not the righteous hero. Who is the righteous hero? It's Jesus. Because how did Paul survive? You know, what did the angels say? God has graciously given you. So who's the hero here? God. And so this story for the people back then kind of affirmed and helped them to understand and see, listen, it wasn't just Paul who was affirmed. It was what Paul represented and the God that he represented, that he is the righteous person. He is the real deal. God is the hero of the story. And so, but there's also one other big takeaway. 
Because this story that we just read actually is almost like a, a mini, mini movie of the whole book of Acts that we've read all year so far. Where at the very beginning, it was calm. There was a wind and storm. And then there was, you know, the, the, the church is born right on Pentecost. And then there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of difficulties. And the difficulty increases. It's getting worse and worse throughout the years, throughout Acts. But then at the very end, not only do we see Paul survive the storm, but we see the church surviving the storm because Jesus promised his apostles and said that not even the gates of hell are going to hold back what I'm about to do. I'm going to build my church. Jesus is the one who builds the church. And, and he says, in essence, and hell can't do anything about it. Hell can't stop me. The devil can't stop me. No demon can stop me. And so here we see that this is like a mini of the whole book of Acts. It was a big, big summary of that, that if you just put your trust in Christ, you will survive, right? The church will survive the storm of all of that is happening. And so will we, because life is very much like kind of like a journey at sea, right? There's things you can control, but there's so many factors, right, that you can't. And like I said at the very beginning, right, it's good to know what you can't control, which is almost everything. But what can you control? What did I say at the beginning? You can control who you trust. You can control how you react. You can control how you respond. You can control, okay, who you trust. And the person we are supposed to trust is the God that is above the storm. He is in control all the time. And that's the irony of even the story where we see everything is chaotic, but yet God is like, no, it's going to be okay. Why? Because I'm in control. God's not like fumbling the ball like, uh, hey, hey, Paul, don't worry. It's going to be okay. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, like God's not freaking out. God never has an oops moment. He never has a I forgot moment. He never has one of those. Never. We had one of those today. We left the house. Oops. We left the phone, right? We left our phone. We do one of those things. I do the triple pat down. I don't know if you guys do that, right? Just boom, 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 right? Wallet, keys, phone, right? I do a triple pat. And so that's why I'm checking all those three areas. And so God never has a moment. Oh, my kids. I was like, oh, Paul's out. Oh, man, I forgot he was out in the water. Oh, no. You know, hopefully no one's looking. Hopefully no one's looking. Yeah, I meant it. It's all according to plan. You know, God never has that. And so here, why is Paul able to be so calm in a chaotic mess? Because his faith was anchored in like saying, God's in control. God's in control. He was anchored in God. And that's one of the things, guys, that we need to be able to look as well. Because when you look at the news right now, tell me you don't see chaos, confusion, and it just seems to get worse. I mean, there's a lot of things that, man, there's a lot of things that, that we find like on, I, I come across videos all the time on Twitter and on different places that I'm like, man, like 20 years ago, this would have been a headline. And this is getting buried. You know, the, the way that, that we see things and the, the amount of, of, of oppression, even in, let's say with Christian communities that, that are being done, um, and not just that, for people in general. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's crazy to see. I don't know if you guys are aware of, of what's happening in Brazil right now. Are you guys aware of what's happening in Brazil with the, with the elections? I mean, it is, it is a, you know, the people are in the streets by the, by the millions because they feel like the election was stolen. They're finding ballots with the loser's name in the trash. 
You know, I mean, Brazil is on fire right now. I know, and then, you know, everyone's focusing on the World Cup. But Brazil is, is, is there's so many things going on in China as well. Some of the forced vaccinations, and, and there's mobs of people in white clothing, in, in hazmat suits, beating people who don't want to be, you know, vaccinated. And, this, and there's nothing against vaccines. I'm not saying that. But I'm like, bro, this is like for your own good. You know, I'm like, bro, what's going on? And we see so many things at play. And video, and I mean, there is so much going on. You know, I was even sharing, uh, I was even sharing with uh, my dad this week of there's, um, even in Israel, there is a growing movement with some rabbinic rabbis there that they believe that their Messiah has shown up and they're just waiting to make the announcement, the Yanuka. And it's a big thing. And I mean, this guy, apparently he's done uh, miracles. And, and he's this childhood prodigy that's now an adult. And, and, and there is a growing number of people that are believed that he is the Messiah that will help the Jewish people rule the world. This is happening right now. You can look it up. It's crazy. So when you look at everything, look at our economy, look at politics, look at this, look at that. Doesn't it seem like everything, like the world is on fire, right? This is one of those where some, sometimes people wish, God, can you just hurry up and just end the nonsense real quick? I want to go home, all right? I want to go home. I, I, my kids now know the feeling. I grew up with this feeling of, of being a pastor's kid, you know, uh, especially it was a combo of a pastor's kid and being Hispanic, okay? When parents say we're leaving, they're not, okay? All right? When parents said, okay, we're, we're going to go now. Okay, cool. Like, honestly, my trust issues have begun with that phrase, okay? I have, tr- my trust issues that I've developed as an adult have become really with that. I was like, mom, are we leaving? My dad, are we leaving? Yeah, we're leaving in two minutes. Okay. Okay? And then, uh, so yeah, I, I, are we leaving now? Sure, yeah, right now. <laughs> like, right now means right now, right? So, oh my God. And so, anyways, um, <laughs> sometimes in those moments, like, I just want to go home. Right? And I know we look at all of this, especially as believers in Jesus, we look at this and be like, I just want to go home. Can we just end this? But notice, guys, what did Paul do in the middle of the crisis? He was able to still point other people to Christ all the way until the very end. Right? And he saw those two people about to leave, right? They were about to, hey, yeah, we're going to let the anchor down. And they were prepping the the lifeboat. They were going to take off. Paul's like, don't you dare. No, 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 no. Right? He could have said, all right, go ahead, figure it out on your own. No. And so, guys, when you look at everything, it looks like no one's in control. It looks like there's a lot of actually people who are fighting for control. There's a lot of politicians. There's governments, things that I just don't have time to talk about right now. There is a power play for the world right now. It's happening before our eyes. And it's, and it's plain as day. It is a power for control. The irony is that no, one's, no one except God is in control. And he's not going to advocate that responsibility to anybody. And no one can take it. No one can steal it. No one can do nothing. He's in control. Has always been. We fool ourselves thinking that we are. But the thing, guys, that we see in this story that should be encouraging to every believer here as well is when it looks like nothing is working and when it looks like the worst is yet to come, Again, God says, uh, I have a plan that needs to be fulfilled. This isn't over yet because, Paul, you're supposed to go here, and it's not over yet. It's not over yet. And, guys, you and I, when we see the book of Acts and when we see the story, when it looks like, how can it get any worse than this? 
there's a sense of hope and confidence that comes and courage that comes in to know that, God, I don't know how you're going to pull this off, but you are God. No one. There is none other. So, Lord, it looks like, it looks like God fell asleep at the wheel. Let's just be real. It look, when you look at the news, it looks like God fell asleep at the wheel, but he's never been more secure. And that's when we look at, we walk by faith, not by sight, because there are promises that God said must happen. And then when his plan is done, then it's over. And that should be encouraging. Again, remember, I told you, this is all for us to look at, look at God in this story. That it doesn't matter the randomness of the storms. It doesn't matter the stubbornness of the sailors. It doesn't matter the sinfulness of the Jewish leaders that have been trying to kill Paul now for years. It doesn't matter. God's plan has never been delayed, not even by a millisecond. You hear that? God's plan since creation. Because in Genesis, when God talks to Adam and Eve, he gives the promise of the Messiah. Ever since then, the plan to redeem and recreate the world has been in play. And not one person's stubbornness, not one, not one random act has caused God to think, okay, I gotta, how am I going to respond? How do, what adjustments do I need to make? No, it's good. That is called the sovereignty of God. That there is nothing that can stop what he has determined will stop. That there is nothing that can delay, destroy, cancel, or reverse, or undo anything that God has already done. That is who God is. And when you put your anchor into that God, can you see why Paul was able to be so calm in the midst of chaos? It wasn't because he was more special or had a greater theological understanding. It was because of where he put his trust in. And where should we put our trust in, guys? Christ. Christ. Now, we're going to pick up the rest of the story next week as we look at the last one. But to kind of re revamp the, what I mentioned last week, how do we survive this storm? How do we survive the storm in life? Surrender. That's what Paul did. Paul surrendered to Christ. He said, Lord, it looks like this is all falling apart. But if you say, not one of us is going to, if you said it, then I believe it. Guys, I wonder, how, I wonder what the difference would be if we took that same approach to what God has said right here. You don't need, you don't need God to bring in an angel tonight for you to feel. Listen, he has said a lot. How are, you re, how are you reacting, responding to what he's already said? That's a big one for us right there. But how do we do it, guys? By trusting in him. Because God, Jesus has already determined the end. Let me show you, just, so, just to prove it to you. Look at John. Can you, can you put it up? Uh, uh, Michael, look at John 16, 31 and 33. This is one of the final moments that Jesus is having with his apostles. And what does he tell them? He tells them about problems and storms and difficulties that they're going to experience. He says, don't you now believe? Listen, indeed, the hour is coming and it has come, which means it's now. Which each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. He was prophesying about how they were going to react when he was going to be crucified. Yet I am not alone because... The Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. And you will have suffering in this world. But what does he say? Be courageous. What did Paul tell those people twice? Take courage. Be courageous. In what? In this statement. I have past tense conquered the world. Guys, 
Jesus is speaking in the past tense and he hasn't even died on the cross yet. Do you see what I'm saying? He hasn't even died on the cross yet. He hasn't resurrected yet. What is he saying? He knows, I know what I'm doing. Trust me, it's not, it's foolproof. It's going to work. I see the end. I win. And our confidence is in, always in Christ. No matter the diagnosis, no matter the, the, what we're seeing, what we're not seeing, we can always anchor in the fact that he says, I have already conquered the world. All that's left is for him to conquer your heart. Paul's heart was conquered. And that's why he had that sense of peace. And when you have that sense, guys, when I said last week, there, you can't be more freedom, that you can't be more free than when you're held captive by Christ. And when you understand that, even the negatives, even the crazy, the chaos of this world actually works in your favor. It helps you to get to know Christ even more, which is what I love. One of my favorite quotes from Spurgeon, he says this, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the waves of, I learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. What is he saying there? Like sometimes life just throws me up against the wall and, and I struggle with that. I struggle with those moments. Life is not easy. Life is difficult. But I've learned to kiss the waves Meaning, he's now even looking at the negative things in a positive light because God can even take negative things, even chaotic, random things, and if we put our trust in him, it throws us up against God. Guys, even the storm, sometimes the waves, sometimes the waves can be us and our stubbornness, right? These people experience heavy loss. I'm sure if we could share, some of you, you've experienced heavy loss in your life because you were stubborn to the ways of God. You didn't want to listen to God's word. You didn't want to listen to God's ways. You were stubborn and you just wanted to keep going and you have and probably still are experiencing heavy loss. Time, resources, peace, joy because of your stubbornness. But just like the story, all right, you didn't listen to me then, but listen now. And so there's still hope for that. There's still hope that, okay, you know what? We, just, we, we count that as loss. What does Christ have for us now? And so the same, and this is the, what I love about even Spurgeon saying, and I'm trying to find the same place as well, is that notice, guys, even the waves, God can even use the random things in this world to draw you near to him, right? So he's learned to kiss the waves of, that throw me up against the rock of ages. And when you get thrown up against a rock, it hurts, Right? But he's realized that even the chaos, even the difficulties in this world are actually helping me to know Christ because I am realizing more and more my own weakness, my own insecurities, my own lack of, and I'm realizing how much more I need to rely on Christ as my foundation. I think uh, Tony Evans said one time, it's like sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so that you can realize that he is the rock at the bottom. I think it's the same thing what Spurgeon was saying. And that's what Paul encountered. For years, he had been thrown up against the rock until he surrendered and said, Lord, I put my trust in you. And now that is the anchor, was the anchor to his soul and always was and the same for us as well. So guys, I want to encourage you. If you 
or maybe you're one of the stubborn ones. And you've been resisting. This is what we talked about last week. You've been, you, you, you thought you were going to get away from me, right? Last week we talked about you being stubborn. No, no, no. Rewind, okay? If you think and you can, if you're still being stubborn towards the truth of God and who he is and what he's called us to do, and, and if you're being stubborn still, I want you to know that God still stubbornly loves you, all right? But he's not, he's not oh, I have to love this guy. He still willingly does. Even despite your stubbornness, he still loves Your stubbornness can't cancel out his faithfulness. And that's a good thing for us. And so if that's you, then I pray that, all right, if you didn't learn the lesson last week, learn it this way. You didn't listen to me last week, listen to me now, all right? And trust in Christ. And for all, maybe for some others, maybe you want to, you want to abandon ship a little too soon, right? These guys were like, hey, we're doing the work, but low key, deep down, they were like, I don't think this is going to work. So they were coming up with a plan B to save themselves. And what did Paul say? If you try to save yourself, it's not going to work. You're going to die. Unless you remain in the ship, that's the only way you can be saved. Is trust in what God has said. Guys, the same thing for us as well. If you want to try to live your own way, trying to save yourself, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Jesus has already said, listen, I've done it. You don't have to do it. That's the good news, guys. It's because he's already conquered the world. It means you don't have to. And the reason why he had to do it is because you and I couldn't. Again, one of those things, guys, there's things that you cannot control. And one of the things you can't even control is you. Let's be honest. You can't even control you. Right? You can't even control you. How are you going to dare save yourself? You don't even have enough power to control yourself, let alone save yourself. So don't be stubborn. Trust in Christ and do what Paul recommended everybody else to do here at the end. Right? And it was like, oh, we're going to be saved. And uh, now they're stuck. Now what do we do? Swim, okay? Uh, we're going to live, guys, so don't just stay here. Get going. If you can swim, swim. If not, grab something. Dog paddle. Who cares? Just go. Go. It's going to be okay, but don't stay. It's going to be okay. And for some of you guys, that's, you know, we can't, you and I, we can't swim strong enough to save ourselves. And I love you said, grab planks, grab whatever. Well, you, got, you and I have a cross to hold on to. You and I have a wooden plank called the cross that we are called to grab. And it's a cross that when you grab it, it really grabs you. And it hold, its grip, God's grip is better than yours on him. And so it is Christ who will guide us the rest of the way. But again, it's where are you putting your trust in? Where are you putting your trust in? And so for you guys, I would encourage you. He told these people, swim, swim. Well, I'm going to tell you that what God always says to us is draw near to me. Run to me. And like what Paul Washer says one time, listen, if you can't run to Jesus, I'm going to tell you now, if you can't run to Jesus, then, then, then walk. If you can't walk to Jesus and you can't do that, well, then crawl. And if you don't even have enough strength to crawl, then just fall. But don't just remain. Even if that's all you can do. Even, I'll, I'll add one even more thing. Even if you can't even just fall, just look. So those who look to me, God makes a difference there. And I know we're all in our own, I'm sure we, you all in your own little individual storms as we're caught up in the main thing as we're wrapping up. Because what if, what if you begin to, instead of complaining about the waves, what if you did what Spurgeon did? And when, what if you begin to kiss those very, very waves and let God even use the negatives in order to draw you even closer to him, to realize and for you to draw and to, for you to have more of that peace stability in your life. I can't make that choice. I can't control you. If not, I would make that decision for you. 
I can't control that. All I can control is what I've done. That's all Paul could do. Point people to Jesus. It's up to them to decide. So it's up to you. That you can't control.